we finished our last series. This is just kind of a one-off, and this is a part of a series. Um, but I want you to, uh, this morning is designed to make you think. Uh, I'm going to be hitting some concepts, and I'm not going to read some of the passages I'm talking about because they're lengthy, but I've listed them in the notes so that you can go read them and think about them. This is kind of to get you started making you think. And conveniently, uh, you know, if I hit anything controversial while I'm on vacation, you can email Gary, and it's perfect because <laughs> he's, you know, three quarters of a century old, or will be by next week. Uh, so, and it's interesting, I was, I didn't plan this, I just was, I was in the shower, uh, I don't know, I don't even remember what I was thinking about, but I just, this thing just dropped in, which is really annoying, because, you know, you want to write down an idea uh, when you get it, and I just hardly ever have a pen in the shower. <laughs> so now I've got to like hurry up and try and remember and not think about anything else until I can get out and get to a pen, uh, but I managed to do it, and so the these the three trials in the book of Daniel are what uh, just kind of popped in, and, and all of a sudden I went, oh, i got to write this down. So we're going to hit this today. Well, like I said, it's because it has current implications, or uh, applications maybe is a better way to say it. And, uh, and, and again, I want to get you thinking about these concepts. So I believe that Daniel is a book we're going to be hearing more about as we progress into the future. I think it's going to become more and more popular because I think it's an end times example of how to live in a uh, potentially adversarial culture um, to, in our case, Christianity, in his case, Judaism. Uh, make no mistake about it, that Babylon... Uh, captured Israel, took them into captivity. That's why they were there. Daniel lived in a culture that was uh, at least initially and largely adversarial towards Israel, right? And I, I put in your notes here, Daniel is an end times example for a post-Christian culture. Now, I am not saying that America is a post-Christian culture, but I am saying I can see it from here. And uh, I don't know where we cross that line. I know that our forefathers uh, uh, founded a country understanding it was a Christian culture, uh, not by mandate, but by freedom. Uh, we're, you know, I love that uh, the, the First Amendment uh, doesn't make anyone uh, be a Christian. Uh, but at the same time, it was pretty clear uh, that, that we were largely a Christian country. And I'm not sure we are anymore. Uh, we've been, I don't know where that line is, but um, at some point, we may have to be prepared to be a church in a post-Christian culture. And it doesn't mean that we just, you know, well, we just go through tribulation and die and heaven's better. Uh, God still wants to bless us, but it's different when it's in an adversarial culture, all right? So, we're going to look at that in Daniel, but before we can look at Daniel, I want to start at Jeremiah, because Jeremiah lays a foundation for kind of a mindset as we go into Daniel, okay? So uh, we're just going to look at Jeremiah 29 and a couple verses maybe right before it, and we've looked at it recently. Um, we started a, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, and you know this passage uh, is where God says, I know the thoughts I have for you. Uh, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. In other words, 
I want to bless you. And I want to just make this statement. God always wants to bless his people. And see, some people think, uh, well, if God wants to bless his people, God certainly is able to do anything he wants, well, then his people are always going to be blessed, right? No. Because there may be some conditions involved. Love, his love is unconditional. He will love you no matter what. But his blessings have conditions tied to them, biblically. And so we need to keep that in mind. So God always wants to bless his people. And in Jeremiah 29, 10-14, we're seeing that he even wants to bless them in the midst of an adversarial culture, literally in the midst of their enemies, right? So we see this desire, or at least how this will happen in the passage just before this, verses 4 through 7. And he's talking about now remember, this is a letter that Jeremiah is writing to the, the captives in Babylon. They're going to be there 70 years. Jeremiah has promised them that. And uh, this is very early on, like the first year of their captivity. He's, he's writing them a letter telling them how to behave for the next 70 years. And he says this in verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. In other words, I want to bless you and prosper you there, uh, but you need to settle in for the long haul. This is where you're going to be for 70 years, right? And then the next sentence, very important, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Let's clearly understand that. Seek the peace of the city where your enemies live, where the enemies that came and killed you and took you captive and burned your cities live. Seek peace. Interesting, isn't it? And pray to the Lord for it. Pray for your enemies. That almost sounds like the New Testament, doesn't it? Didn't Jesus say something like that several times? Alrighty. For, uh, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. The implication being, if Babylon doesn't have peace, you don't get it either. Right? In its peace, you will have peace. Pray for the land where you're living, because if they experience peace, you will experience peace. Pretty simple, right? And so what I want you to see, that God is basically saying here, I am calling, uh, or, I, or my desire is to bless you, but there are conditions on that blessing. And here are the specific conditions on you being blessed in the midst of your enemies, in an adversarial uh, nation. Here are the conditions. They are this. First, your intent towards them needs to be peace. Now, uh, Rachel's been quoting recently something someone said. Uh, I don't remember. I remember the quote. I don't remember where she got it. Um, that we are not called to fight with the world. We are called to fight for the world. Amen. Right? 
And we all get that. But without a show of hands, how many of us have caught ourselves fighting with the world in the last few weeks instead of for them? And have to remember, oh, I'm supposed to pray, not complain. Right? And so we have to remind ourselves that uh, first, our intent towards this adversarial culture must be peace. And uh, the practical outworking of that intent is we pray for the culture we're in, that adversarial culture, right? This is very New Testament. You guys get this. But here's the other thing. We have to see connection, that we're connected to this culture. We can't completely separate from the culture we live in. In its peace, you will have peace. And so we're praying, and we're specifically even praying that this adversarial culture that we live in, our own little Babylon, will have peace, right? That was the condition of blessing. Now, I'll give you some other things. As I said, I'm just giving you some things to think about, to ponder, to go deeper on, because I can't, I just don't have time to develop all of it today. But here's one. If you read through the book of Daniel, I want you to notice Daniel's attitude. And I'm not saying Daniel was perfect. Uh, he may have had, uh, you know, I, maybe it's just he didn't write down any of the bad stuff. He didn't write down when he was, you know, having a bad day and lost his temper and complained a lot. I don't know. But I can't find anywhere he has a bad attitude. Now, that's impressive on its own, but bear in mind, several of the kings he served tried to kill him. Right? That seems like an excuse for a bad attitude. But what we see continually through the book of Daniel is Daniel honoring, respecting, and praying for those kings he served, those evil kings who occasionally tried to kill him. Isn't that impressive? We see Daniel going through trials repeatedly, several of them, big ones. But we see the favor of the Lord on Daniel, and he keeps being blessed. Now, I, for one, think that would be a great way to go through uh, living in an adversarial culture, to have the favor of God. Uh, the trials are going to be there, right? And So perhaps the favor of God through those trials is tied to the attitude that Daniel carried of honor and respect and prayer. And so what we see uh, in that middle section, God always wants to bless his people. In that first section, here's the conditions of you being blessed in Babylon. And then there's this little two-verse two section, verses 8 and 9, and then the entire 15 through 22 the entire rest of chapter 29 is devoted to this. And this is the part where I'm going to poke the bear a little. Hang in there. Uh, you get offended. That's why Gary's here. All right. Um, <laughs> what Jeremiah inserts here, or what God inserts through Jeremiah prophesying, is a concern about false prophets that there are false prophets that are prophesying literally exactly the opposite of what Jeremiah is prophesying. And we want to analyze this a little bit. This is important because this may have contemporary implications. So Daniel's called, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah's called them to go and, and fulfill the conditions to be blessed in this adversarial land. And uh, what happens is um, then God starts talking about these false prophets. Now, some of them 
were already in Babylon. Some of them were still in Jerusalem because all of them had not been taken captive yet. We know from history that that, that, that would happen. There would be further uh, taking of captives. Um, but the issue in the false prophecy, uh, and they called it deceptive prophecy, was over the length of captivity. All right? Now, here's what I want you to get. In Jeremiah 26, verse 11, um, Jeremiah first brings up the whole, it's gonna, uh, Jerusalem's going to be taken and you're going into captivity for 70 years. We're going into captivity for 70 years. And the response of the religious leaders is they want to kill Jeremiah because he prophesied against America. I'm sorry, Jerusalem. <laughs> Are you seeing the implications that may be involved? They want to kill him because he prophesied against Jerusalem. You don't prophesy against Jerusalem. Jerusalem's God's city. We're God's people. Bad stuff doesn't happen like that. 70 years? That's not happening. Follow me? So they want to kill him, and they have a counter-prophecy in Jeremiah 28, verses 2 through 8. One of the false prophets that God is identifying through Jeremiah prophesies and says, no, no, no. He says, uh, in two years, in less than two years, God's going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, and all those people are coming back. This is brief. This is two years. You know how God does. Uh, he loves his kids. Uh, we get a little crazy. Uh, he sends a judge. Uh, he, you know, we get, we get, the Philistines beat us up for a little while, but we, he always brings us back. It's a, it'll be two years. It'll be okay. Right? And so they, uh, and then the people who were in uh, Babylon already are taking this up and going, yeah, we're not going to be here long. And so Jeremiah is literally going, settle in. God wants to bless you here. Become part of that culture. And they're going, no, no, no. We're coming back. Uh, let's, Jer you know, nothing bad is going to happen to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be fine. Temple will be there. Remember what happened to the temple? <laughs> Wasn't there. They had to rebuild it. That's part of that's Nehemiah and Ezra, right? So nothing bad's going to happen because we're God's people. We're blessed, right? And so these prophecies are the issue. They have this little prophecy going on. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is the important part. Daniel, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah is calling them to be blessed. He's telling them, God wants to bless you. Here are the conditions. The problem with uh, an attitude of we're God's people, and this is God's nation or city, and nothing bad's going to happen to it, is it's the idea of unconditional blessing. In other words, that we are blessed regardless of our spiritual condition. We are blessed. We're God's people. Regardless of our spiritual condition, He's going to take care of us. Is that the case? No. We've got to see there's conditional blessing. Now, I am not saying bad things are going to happen to America. Let's just talk about what I'm not saying uh, so you know I'm not saying it by saying what I'm not saying. Got it? <laughs> I am not saying that uh, bad things are going to happen to America. 
I believe uh, we've got a third great awakening in store. I believe revival is coming. I believe all these things. I'll tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe they're going to happen regardless of what we do. I don't believe we can do anything we want and just expect God to bring revival to fix it all. I believe the church has to partner appropriately with God to see those things happen. Right? That there's condition to that blessing. And if we choose not to do it, in fact, I believe that's what he's been doing in the last couple of years is getting in our hearts, correcting us, aligning us in partnership with him. So I'm not saying bad things are going to happen or, you know, we need to have enough equal amount of bad prophecy to go with good prophecy. Uh, I'm saying we have to pay attention to the conditions, and they weren't doing that. And so their prophecy was skewed. They were prophesying unconditional blessing regardless of the spiritual condition. What's interesting is all they had to do is go back to Deuteronomy 28, and uh, the spiritual condition is the cause of the captivity. In Jeremiah 28, Moses said, uh, he says, here's blessing, put blessings on one mountain and cursings on another. If you follow God, here's the blessings. If you don't, here's the cursings. Right in that list is you and your children going into captivity. They have the warning. They've been told by Moses this was going to happen. In fact, Moses tells them, I know this is going to happen. I know you guys are going to go into captivity after I'm gone. It was right there in writing. So, but they couldn't hear that because Jerusalem is God's city. And we're the chosen people of God. And we can't hear that. You understand? Now, I don't want to beat up... Uh, Prophets, I love prophecy. I want. I've been praying uh, for God to mature us in the prophetic. I don't want to prophesy on a national level. Who wants that headache, right? But guys are doing it, and I want. I want the guys doing it to be able to do it well. I, I'm interested in what they have to say. At the same time, I fear that some of this may have been going on. Here's what I want you to see: when we focus on the promise and ignore the conditions, it will influence the prophetic. We'll end up just prophesying the promise. And if you look at, historically, national prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah, what they were largely doing was calling the nation back to alignment with God. Right? If you're a national prophet, that's probably a lot of your job. And yet what we heard was a lot of how uh, God's going to take care of everything, right? Now, we heard other stuff, too. And I think this is God's mercy. God's refining us. God's helping us. I, again, it's a tough job. And we need to be praying for the prophetic voice in America to be mature and to be accurate because uh, we need it, and we need those guys. And, and again, I, you know, I don't want to second-guess uh, some of that stuff, but I want us to understand that we have to uh, we have to get this uh, conditional blessing attitude. Or what will happen is we'll end up with sort of what, what these guys were doing, I, well, I'll, I'll just call it wishful prophesying. Two years, two years tops. We'll be back. God loves us. Two years. I know he said 70, and Jeremiah said 70. We should kill him. 
two years. I don't think their hearts were necessarily wrong so much as it's just wishful prophesying. They want the blessings of God. And, they, and so badly that they've lost sight of their conditions to these blessings. You with me? Yes. So, we want to be careful um, that we're praying for the prophetic voices in America and, 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 uh, and listening for the ones that are really calling us to partner with God and what He's doing. There have been those. There have been some good prophetic voices that are saying, this is a season to partner with God in what He's doing. And He's working on our hearts and He's correcting us. And he's taking the church deeper because he wants to bless and because he wants to bring revival. It's not just going to happen, right? Okay, um, that was the dangerous part. Um, here's what I want you to see. In the same way uh, we looked at Daniel's attitude, uh, I want to look at the religious leaders' attitudes, that all these false prophets. Uh, and I would sum it up as this. It was separation. We're coming back. God's going to judge them and bless us, right? God's going to judge them and bless us. Now contrast that with Jeremiah. Go be a part of them. In their peace, you will have peace. It's a very different message, isn't it? And again, uh, we'll talk about this in a minute. I'm not saying be a part of them in that we adopt their lifestyle, but we, or we adopt the culture. But we, we live there, and our peace is tied together. So it's connection, not separation, right? And so they, uh, their attitude was one of separation, and, and I, probably not too much of a stretch to uh, think that they were a little bit, you know, we're better than them. They're Babylonians. We're God's chosen people, right? Uh, just want to point out that... Um, David, Daniel's end was favor. Uh, all of these guys died. Make of that what you will. Uh, in fact, Jeremiah prophesied how they would all die. A couple of them got roasted. That sounds unpleasant. Right? Anyway, uh, I love how God sums it up in the very last verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 32. He says that these are those who taught rebellion against the Lord. The ones that were saying, God's going to bless. God's bringing us back. It's only going to be two years. We're all coming back. He said, no, you're teaching them to rebel against me. I need prophets who are going to tell them what I'm really doing. I do want to bless, but I'm going to do it there. Because you need a 70-year timeout. Because you've been engaged in idolatry. And I don't know if you guys know this from history, but they, they, they worship lots. They kept worshiping Baals and other stuff and Moab's gods and this god and that god. You know what? When they came out of captivity, they still had issues, but they, they didn't worship any other gods. It was, they had narrowed it down to it's all, it's all God now. It's all Jehovah, right? So he was curing a problem. Now, now let's get to Daniel. Uh, just going to do the three probably most famous stories in Daniel, and this is what God kind of dropped on me, that there are three spiritual condition issues, heart condition issues, that are revealed through the four Hebrew young men and their three, three trials in Daniel. And you know these, so I'm not going to go read them, or maybe just a little parts of some of them. Uh, I'm just going to tell you the story. You go look them up yourself, okay, if you want to look deeper into this. Uh, the first one is in Daniel 1, where 
uh, here's what's happened. It's, a, it's an issue of uh, culture. Now, in all of these, uh, let's not get too locked in on the, the, just the specific thing that's happening. This one's about food, which is very important uh, for all of us, right? Uh, I think food's important. Anyway, um, especially going on vacation. So, uh, but this is about culture, not just about food. I want you to think of it, in a, it's broader. This is a picture. Uh, it's a broader concept, all right? So go there. Now, what happens is um, they've taken, Nebuchadnezzar's taken a bunch of the Jewish people captive, and he's taken some of the young men, and these are the elite young men. These are the good-looking ones. These are the ones that came from noble families. Uh, these are the ones that, you know, had a good 40 time. I don't know how they did it, but they, uh, you know, that's the ones I'd pick. Uh, but they're, they're intelligent. These are the, and they said, let's put them in our uh, three-year program. They're going to get a Bachelor's of Babylonia, and, uh, and then we're going to use them in the government because they're assimilating, right? Assimilating them into the Babylonian culture. Well, that could go well or badly, couldn't it? So you know what happens. He said they give them all the delicacies to eat. And this isn't just an issue of, hey, I'm not used to this. I might get an upset tummy. Uh, this is an issue of, hey, we're Jews. We're not supposed to eat that. We're supposed to eat this. It's, it's actually the law. Uh, God told us what we could eat and what we couldn't, right? And so we have to stay faithful to God. And, and the, the eunuchs go, no, because you're going you're gonna to eat this. You're going to eat all these vegetables. You're going to look terrible. And I'm going to get blamed for it. And, and so, uh, you know, you have to eat all the delicacies. And as the story goes, uh, Daniel says, look, respectfully, keyword, why don't we just test this? Just for 10 days. I think it was 10 days. I forget. Period of time. Let us eat what we eat. And they all eat what they eat. And you evaluate it. And then you decide. Right? And of course, you know what happened to the story. They looked better afterwards. And they said, wow, you guys look good. I'm going to make all these guys eat vegetables. And so, uh, which, you know, I don't know how popular that made them. But <laughs> I know what I would have done if people were taking away my delicacies and giving me vegetables. But anyway... What we see is, again, broader picture. It's not just food, it's culture. They, had a, they were being challenged to adapt to the culture of Babylon, to adapt to the culture of this adversarial culture, right? And just a little compromise, just eat a little different. It's not a big compromise, just a small compromise. We can do a small compromise, right, with our culture? And... They wouldn't do it. They respectfully invited testing. Let's test this. Are you willing to let God use you to be a test? They were. Now, here's what I want you to see. Not only did they pass the test, Babylonian culture was trying to affect them. They end up affecting Babylonian culture. Wow. They flipped it, and they affected Babylonian culture. They started eating like they did. And God made them, it says, at this point, God did this, not just you know, the school of Babylon did this. God made them excel in skill and knowledge and wisdom 
and understanding more than everyone else. So what did they gain? They gained influence. They gained influence by respectfully maintaining their culture in God. So our challenge, the first thing we see here, the first spiritual condition that will reveal our hearts that is going to happen uh, in the end times, and now even, in just America, in our culture, is this. Can we participate in a post-Christian culture without compromising the culture of heaven? That's the trick. We're called to participate in this culture without compromising the culture of heaven. Jesus did it all the time. He ate with sinners, but he didn't sin. They liked him. I don't know how that worked. Sinners don't always like the church. They like Jesus. Can we participate in this culture, not be separate, be part of it, but not compromise the culture of heaven? See, uh, the other two extremes are easier. We can just separate from the culture, you know, come out from among them and be separate, don't have anything to do with them. By the way, and that is in the New Testament, it's in 2 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul made it very clear, I wasn't talking about not associating with them, I'm talking about not being yoked with them. You've got to associate with them, you can't come out of the world. So you have to be part of the culture, just don't be yoked with it. That's all he was saying. So, uh, what we're called to do is to participate in a post-Christian culture without compromising the culture of heaven. Now, you, can, you ought to be able to see all kinds of application to this today. How do we uh, befriend an adversarial culture and yet not uh, compromise the culture of heaven? Well, the way they did it was they said, respectfully, let's be a test. Whatever you're doing, I'll do it God's way, you do it your way, and let's just see how it works out. Are you willing for your life to be a test? Well, you do what you're doing with your money. I'll do my money God's way, and let's see how it goes. You raise your kids according to whatever book you just read. I'll raise my kids biblically. Let's see how it goes. See, we're called to demonstrate the culture of heaven in the midst of this culture. It requires relationship. In their peace, we have peace. And we relate to them. We relate with them. And we pray for them, and we're willing to be tested because, here's the kicker, our culture works better, always. You are guaranteed that the culture of heaven will work better than any other culture. So stick with it. All right? So first test, participate in post-Christian culture without compromising the culture of heaven. All right, so next test, all four, Daniel and all three of the other, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's funny, we always remember Daniel's Hebrew name and their uh, Babylonian name. I don't know why, but that's how it works out. Um, Daniel's Babylonian name, by the way, it was Belteshazzar or something. Yeah, that's pro- Daniel's a lot easier. <laughs> Anyone here name their kid Belteshazzar? No, we've got a couple Daniels. I rest my case. All right. Um, Anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got the next one by themselves, and that would be the fiery furnace in Daniel 3. And again, you know the story. Um, Nebuchadnezzar makes a 90-foot idol and a big fire, and he says, everybody's going to worship when the music plays, when the band gets going real good, 
just like this morning, uh, I'm going to tell you all to bow down to this idol and just worship this idol, and then we're, and then we're done, uh, you know, we'll have, hit the concession stand, get some merch, go home. And so, right? That's all it is. And, and so, uh, it's, just a, it's, just, it's just one, I mean, God knows that we don't seriously believe in any of this 90-foot idol. It's just one thing. I, I don't want to die in a fire. Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. If you don't do it, you get thrown into a big fire, right? So, I mean, it's just one time. God knows my heart. I can just bow down to everybody else, and I'm not really worshiping it. I'll just pray to God, right? That's okay, isn't it? Well, apparently not, um, because you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, uh, we can't do that. And the king says, seriously? Uh, I'm going to throw you in the fire, uh, and what's going to happen then? Is your God able to save you? And I love their answer. He says, yeah, he absolutely is able to save us, but he may not. <laughs> and if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down, which torques Nebuchadnezzar off. He's, he's angry. And so they start the uh, music, and he, he gets the fire real hot, so hot that when they bind him up to throw him in, the guys that throw him in get burned up because they just got too close to the fire, right? So, uh, you know, the story, they get, they're bound, and they throw them in, and Nebuchadnezzar's watching because, you know, I, you got to wonder, was he kind of hoping? Because why do all that if everyone's going to worship? I mean, it's not that good a show. You're kind of hoping somebody's going to get thrown into the fire, you know, right? <laughs> it's like going to NASCAR. You know, I don't want to see a wreck, but I kind of do, you know? <laughs> So, all right, so I think everyone's excited now because some guys are going to get thrown in the fire. Who knew? Someone's dumb enough to not bow. I don't believe it. Okay, they're going in. And then it becomes a really good show because the ropes get burned off, nothing else. They stand up and start walking around the fire, which just killed the guys that threw them in, so that's trippy. And then there's a fourth guy in there walking around with them talking, and now Nebuchadnezzar's very interested, Right? And so I love it. And so he, he goes, he goes, hey, come out here. He just calls them out. I, I don't know. The response to the miraculous in the Bible is funny. You know, a donkey talks to a guy and he just talks back. I'm like, seriously? Like, you know, and so Nebuchadnezzar is just, hey, tell him to come on out. You know, so they do. And he talks with them. And he's very impressed. And he says this. He says uh, in verse 28, uh, blessed be their God who delivered his servants who trusted in him and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Reminds me of Romans 12.1, doesn't it? Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Are we called to do that? See, I think all this is saying is there's going to come a time where we have to take this a little bit more seriously. They were respectfully willing to die rather than compromise their worship. Or, you can look at it either way, enter into idolatry. Because remember, idolatry is why they're in captivity, isn't it? And they're going, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing idolatry. There's lots of ways we can do idolatry, isn't there? But their attitude was, I would rather die than do that. It sounds like, again, Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? Sounds like that, doesn't it? See, we have to maybe take more seriously this whole dying thing. Now, probably very few of us will be called to actually die. I'm guessing none of us get thrown into a big fire. But there are lots of little ways we have to embrace dying to follow Jesus. And some of us may have to literally die as the last days ramp up, right? May happen. We have to come to grips with that. That uh, it, it sounds at odds with being blessed. Well, God wants to bless you, but he may kill you, right? But God's eternal, and he knows what comes after, and it's bigger than that. And uh, note what we just read in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever desires to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I know it's counterintuitive, but the blessing is in the dying. We die, and that's how we get the blessing. I'm only worshiping him. I'm dying to everything else. And that's where the blessing comes from. Amen? That's how we get blessed. And so we have to embrace that. Now, here's what I love. Uh, they did this, right? They, uh, they went through the fire. Nebuchadnezzar was very impressed. And in the same way they affected Babylonian culture, now they're being challenged on worship, and they affect Babylonian worship. Nebuchadnezzar gets up after this, and he says, hey, new decree, it is now illegal to speak anything against their God. You do... You get killed and your house gets torn down. I don't know why, but that was it. We kill you and we tear down your house. No one says anything against this God. That's the decree. That's the law now in Babylon. Guys, that's impressive. They were called, uh, they were uh, asked to engage in idolatry. They end up affecting the worship of Babylon. Are you seeing a pattern here? And they were promoted. They gained more influence. And so we need to refuse to be intimidated out of worship or into idolatry. And here's the thing. At the point where you really don't care if they kill you, what else are they going to do? I refuse to be intimidated out of worshiping God or, uh, you know, into idolatry, and they will well, do all the stuff. All right, threaten me with heaven all you want, man. Kill me. Let me tell you what's going to happen next. Talk about good worship. Now, the other thing I want you to see is I think this is foreshadowing. This is not just a random thing here, the idol. And the fire and all that stuff. This is foreshadowing. How many of you uh, have read in Revelation something about the mark of the beast? I think it has something to do with Publix. <laughs> right? I do. People get, you know, uh, this, what's the mark of the beast? It could be the mark. I don't want to accidentally take the mark of the beast. I heard Grandma went to Publix and they took her little card away and they stamped her hand. And she, uh, she just wanted vegetables. Now she's going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now, we're not that. Weird, right? Maybe. So we make it about food because of verse, it's Revelation 13, because of verse 17, they say, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't eat, right? It's not about food. 
Look at verse 15. In verse 15 it says, they make an image of the beast, and whoever refuses to worship the image is killed. Where have we seen that? Daniel. This is a foreshadow. It's not about accidentally taking a mark. You will know. Because the mark is saying, uh, I, yes, I will bow down to that image. I will worship that. It's about choosing to worship that. And, incidentally, you'll be able to buy food. Right? And so, it really is about, am I willing to die for Jesus? Um, and just in case you wondered, Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame, how many of you want to be overcomers? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and what's the third one? Did not love their lives to the death. Doesn't mean you're guaranteed going to be murdered. It just means it's an option. It's on the table. Right? But the blessing is in being willing to have God exercise that option. Okay, the third one is prayer. So we've talked about culture. We've talked about worship. And now prayer. And, of course, the lion's den. And this one, you got to understand, this one's way more political than, than you may realize. What's happening is... Daniel has been gaining favor and prominence, and he's been interpreting dreams and helping kings out for years and years. And so the king really listens to him. What's going on, it, it covers it real quick in the beginning of Daniel 6, is Darius is thinking about making Daniel second in command, just like Pharaoh did with Joseph. So a Jew, a captive Jew, is now fixing to be vice president. Okay? And all of the local Babylonian Congress is not happy about this. And they're trying to figure out a way to plot against him and get him out of there. But they've done all the research. They've gone all the way back to, you know, when he was at Babylon U and everything. They can't find anywhere where he went to a party and behaved indecently with some girl or anything they can bring up from 30 or 40 years ago that they can impugn his character because he won't do anything wrong. Right? This is the issue. I'm just putting it in contemporary terms so you'll understand. And so they can't find anything wrong with him. And they go, well, here's what we'll do. We've got to get him on the religion thing. Let's force him to choose between God and government and which one he's going to rely on. So we know he prays all the time. Let's go to the king. The king will love this. We'll have the king do a decree that for 30 years, I'm sorry, for 30 days, uh, no one can appeal to any God or any man but the king. And I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, Daniel 6, 7, Whoever petitions any God or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So it's not just quit praying. It's let's make a statement, king, that at the end of the day, you are the ultimate appeal. You are where the buck stops. For 30 days... Everyone's going to learn this lesson. No one appeals to anyone but you. No God, no other man. Just you, head of our government. Anybody see any implications there? So you know what happens. Uh, and if you don't, you're going to be cast into the lion's den. Daniel goes home and keeps praying. He prayed three times a day publicly. He opened his windows out on his balcony. Everybody knew he did it. 
He just continued respectfully doing what he had always done. I underline continued because uh, you don't want to be developing your prayer life during the tribulation. You might want to develop that now. He had been relying on God and going through trials and having God pull him out and give him favor for, I don't know, like 60 or 70 years. He wasn't going to stop now. He had a track record that prayer worked. And so he was continuing. And of course, he ends up in the lion's den. Uh, but the king, Darius, likes Daniel. He was about to make him second in command, right? And so he realizes he's kind of been duped here, but the law of the Persian means once you sign it, you can't change it. So he can't just go, well, you know, it's not like an executive order. The next guy can just go, nah. Uh, it had to stick. Law was the law. So for 30 days, that was in place. Daniel had to go into the lion's den. But the king is distressed, and he spends the night in fasting, right? And so then he gets done, and, uh, of course, Daniel isn't eaten, and so the king thinks it'd be fun to throw all the other congressmen in there uh, they all get, and their families. So they all get eaten, and then he has a decree. So here's what I want you to see. Again, it's not, don't just look at the thing. It's a bigger picture than this. What was being tested was his reliance. Is your reliance primarily going to be on God or government? Is your reliance going to be on uh, the king or God? He had the king praying to God, fasting all night for him. He started out being challenged he ended up affecting Babylonian government. Again, are you seeing a pattern here? He affected the government of Babylon. The king, the enemy's attacking prayer. The kings end up spending the night in fasting and prayer. All the evil leaders die. All the bad guys in Congress are wiped out. Right? Again, this really happened. I want you to imagine this, that the righteous guy who's, fixing, who's thrown into a lion den God turns it around, he ends up being second in command, and all the evil congressmen are killed. Isn't that amazing? That is a pretty profound effect on government. And to top it all off, the king, Darius, then gets up after that and says, all right, we got through the 30-day lion thing. I've got a new decree. Here's my decree. Men everywhere must fear God. That's from the government. The government of Babylon says everybody has to fear God. Do you understand how we affect where we are? He respectfully continued praying. He affected Babylonian government. And finally, it says he prospered. He got the blessing that Jeremiah was talking about. He prospered. He prospered in an adversarial culture because he just stuck with God. So what do we need to do? We need to develop a prayer-based reliance on God in all circumstances. Trust me, you don't want to have to suddenly learn to flex this muscle. Develop now a prayer-based reliance on God. One of the things I believe God is doing in the church is shifting us. We've been a little bit too reliant on having the right guy or gal in charge 
not just on the national level, all over. And I still want the right guy or gal in charge. But that's really not what I'm relying on. I am prayerfully relying on God. And He's teaching us to do that so that He can bring revival to the earth. Amen? Amen. So, these three avenues that I listed are going to be three uh, avenues of attack in the end times. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. First thing that's going to happen is uh, the cultural will try and lure us away from God. That's a little more subtle. Just some small cultural compromises. Anybody see any of that? Then there'll be intimidation. You can't worship, or you can just worship in that building. Don't bring that stuff out here. You can't worship. You got to worship this God, or you got to engage in this idol. And if you don't, we'll hurt you in some way, or we'll kill you. Finally, all right, they won't conform to the culture, they won't engage in idolatry. For God's sake, we can't have them praying. We got to stop that prayer stuff. It's coming. The enemy, uh, nothing scares him like a praying church. I'm telling you, the church does not get it. I, 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 myself included, I don't think any of us get, really get, the power of prayer. But we're going to. And so uh, Daniel got it. Daniel prayed three times a day. I think that's how he sustained being uh, a high-level official in Babylon, um, being tested all the time and having all the kings occasionally want to kill him. Maybe, maybe that's what we need to get a prayer life. I don't know. See, you see what I mean by conditional blessing. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe God still wants to bless America. I believe God still wants to revive us. But we need to pay attention to the conditions. We need to, this is a time more than ever to be doubling down on both our, our willingness to bless the culture around us and to love them, but to unequivocally not compromise the culture of heaven. This is the time. Uh, to be going, look, we're going to worship God and we are not going to be intimidated or ashamed about it. Kill us if you want, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it respectfully. We're going to love you, but we're going to worship God. We're not going to apologize for that. And we're going to pray. And the more you mess with us, we're going to pray more. That'll show you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for God to bless you. We're going to bless our enemies. We're going to bless those who curse us. Take that. Amen? That's the way God does it. 